I don't want to see as Barry B is like, it's my company. It's all of our company together. So when we are reaching a goal, it just kind of changes the dynamics and the, and the culture and people are speaking up more. People are like challenging each other. We're like, can we do this better? Can we do that better? And before you're most thinking in silos, but now that we are like, okay, it's, it's like we're the musketeers. It's like, you know, uh, all or nothing. It's like, Oh, what are you doing over there in like graphic design? I have an idea. We should do that. So we like just kind of become more collaborative and thinking about like what's actually happening on the on the other side of the table. After napping for a few hours under a weighted blanket on a Saturday afternoon, Catherine Ham fell in love with the feeling of sleeping under weight. But when she started a search for high quality weighted bedding, she just couldn't find any. So she invented one and developed a prototype taking everything that scientists know about weighted bedding. She's bundling it up with innovative textiles into one delightful experience that helps people sleep naturally and feel better. And Barabi was born. After a successful crowdfunding campaign, an unanticipated deal with West Elm, and lots of persistence, humility, and hard work, Therapy is now a fast-growing company with inventory flying off the shelves. Coming up, you'll hear why the Barabi name involves a hug and a song. Why the addition of a complimentary skill set was a pivotal first hire. How Barabi caught the attention of West Elm. The importance of Instagram and user-generated content for brand discovery. How list building, collecting emails, and the first 48 hours were crucial ingredients to victory on Kickstarter. Why the core working hours at Barabi are only between 12 and 3 p.m., moving into the market for children. And why Catherine sees her entrepreneurial journey as a great adventure. This is the Entrepreneurista Podcast, presented by Socialfly. It's the best business meeting you'll ever have with must-hear real-life looks at how leading women in business are getting it done. And what it takes to build and grow a successful company. It's beyond the gram. With no filters, no limits, and plenty of surprises. Catherine, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. How did you come up with this incredible idea of Barabi? It's a great question. Um, and I got it asked by many people along the way when I started a journey. So maybe I have to kind of give you a bit more of my background. So by training, I'm actually an economist. I have a PhD in economics. And after my education, I started working in the World Bank, in, first in Washington for a year and then from there, I moved to the Middle East, to Dubai, I was working in different countries from Pakistan, Jordan. So I was traveling a lot already in that place. But then a year after, I already moved again to India this time, to Mumbai. And um, from there, I was like working in Bangladesh. And I mean, it's it's if I wasn't on a plane, I was in a car. And 10 kilometers in, in Bangladesh are like five hours. So it was like really... It got really exhausting and um, I just realized, I mean, I was never a good sleeper when I was already as a kid. I mean, my husband, he falls asleep like two minutes, he's he's gone. And I'm like, if like the, if the air condition changes a bit, I'm already like, that sounds like what's, me. what's happening? <laughs> like I'm, I'm wide awake. But that time, I mean, it was just at that point, it was like annoying and I knew I'm not like a particularly deep sleeper or good sleeper, but it didn't affect me during the day. But then with the 
constant changes in the travel schedule, that's when it really like got chronic insomnia where I was laying at night, couldn't fall asleep. And then if I would fall asleep, I would wake up multiple times. So when I woke up in the morning, it just felt like I hadn't slept at all. It's the worst feeling. And it's like, it just kind of had, I had times like in meetings where I just, I couldn't focus. So it affected me like not only in the work, but I was just really unhappy. So, and then I said, okay, I need to do something. And it started like that whole like research journey of mine where I'm like, okay, I need to find a thing that makes me sleep. And I flew in like $2,000 mattresses uh, into India, pillows, white noise machines, like you name it, like, like everything that was there and that promised like better sleep. I just ordered it and tried it. Did anything help? Not really. So I was also, I mean, growing up in Germany, we always get told as kids, like, don't take, you know, any sleeping pills. So I still was looking for it and it must be like a natural solution. And then I came across, I read in a magazine about a weighted blanket, nothing new, been around since 60 years in the medical community used with, uh, for children that have sensory disorders. Mm -hmm. But in that article, they mentioned that it's also adults, uh, same effect that it has like the evenly distributed weight on the body apparently makes adults calm and also helps them sleep better. So I just ordered this blanket in as well. Like where I already spent thousands of dollars, like doesn't really, you know couple of hundred bucks more doesn't really matter and I got this blanket uh, and it was a weekend and I still remember it's I just put it on my body on an afternoon and I just drifted off and I woke up four hours later like during the daytime that never happened to me before so I was like okay I, I found it like okay my problem is solved let's let's move on with my life and kind of like continue in my career and continue in my job Next night, I tried the product again during the night, and then I woke up again. But this time, I was just, like, really hot and sweaty. And it's not only, like, the humid climate in, in India, but it's just, like, the plastic. Like, all these blankets that are in the market, they are, like, to make them heavy, you need to fill them with artificial filling materials, like the plastic beads. So that's the one that I had. And there's just no way that you can sleep cool under it or that I could use it for eight hours. But even then I wasn't thinking, okay, this is a business idea. Uh, I never saw myself like as an entrepreneur, I was still like, I need to find that product, like just this product that's, that makes me sleep and that's breathable and cool. And so you thought I, someone must have this product out yeah, there. Yeah, I was like, I mean, it's 60 years around, someone, you know, must have thought about it and kind of changed the product design over such a long time. There's been plenty of research studies out there. So I'm like, how can it be that there's actually nothing there? And it turned out actually nobody had thought about it. So, and that's when I realized, um, still in my mind is like, okay, I'm creating this one thing for myself, then I have it and kind of, I still move on with my career. So you were just looking for now someone to make this product for you. Yeah. Okay. So, and then I started like as a side project, I read, I was starting reading about textiles, like textile designs, what it has like a cooling fabric, um, what are different ways to make different products. I read patterns at night. And then I developed like a little prototype, like a kind of the mini version of what you see here, like more ugly. Obviously, <laughs> it was like kind of stitched together. But yeah, I had the idea. And I think it's also like being around in India, you see these heavy rugs that are knitted on every on the street. 
And then that's when I realized like maybe there's a way that we can just use fabric, but I wasn't sure if like fabric also gets this to 20 pounds, mm. like can cotton really be that heavy? So, and then like the idea evolved and um, I still wanted to kind of test the waters and I started a Kickstarter campaign, crowdfunding, and that was really successful. So we raised $250,000 uh, in a month. I have to stop you here. So you did a Kickstarter campaign and a lot of people do Kickstarter campaigns and they're not successful. How did you set up your campaign to, to make it work? Um, so yeah. I know there's a so lot I of actually, the Kickstarter there. campaign also was actually nearly the breaking point uh, because I made a lot of mistakes along the way. I can share like, I think the funny one <laughs> now looking back. So Kickstarter is like, you know, it's an animal in itself. It's not only you put your product up and then magically people start buying it. So I found like an agency, you know, I Google like Kickstarter and then the first agency that popped up, I basically like, okay, that sounds great. And they promised me like, we help you with the video. We help you with the photos. You just ship the product to us. We take care of everything. And I'm like, that's great. You know, I send you the product and I lean back and kind of wait. Uh, they wanted four weeks. So once they send the video over, it was just like horrible. It was like, <laughs> like a, a video with like people naked under a dirty blanket with dirty feet. Oh gosh. So I was like, how much did you pay for this video? That's yeah. And I paid $20,000 oh for it. And obviously then I said, can you do a better video for me? I can't, I can't use that. This wouldn't work. And they're like, sorry, that's it. Like, do you, you know, I, I paid up front, um, big mistake. So, and at that point I already had like, you know, sunk like a considerable amount of money. And plus I would say at that point, like the feedback you get from people, it's not that there was like a lot of encouragement where like you can do it. People were like, you know, maybe it's not for you. Maybe you should just go back. It's a sign, go back to your old job and, you know, cut your losses and move on. And I was actually close to the point where I was like, this is, you know, it's too much. And, uh, that was stupid. And but then there was like a, a turning point and I, I still don't know. I mean, I doubted myself obviously a lot, but I never actually along the journey doubted the product. So I, I paid another twenty thousand dollars this time for like a better researched agency. I started talking to other women actually mm -hmm. that have run Kickstarter campaigns in the first place, which I should have done before. I think that's my number one advice. Always have someone before you start. Is it like setting up a new logistic uh hub what we're doing now is I start talking to my network um, before how did you do it and I have like 10 15 conversations and then I build my own thoughts and I move forward and I didn't do that at that point so I put like another twenty thousand dollars up and that was like I took like all the money was for my retirement fund when I had quit so I was um I was already in my mind thinking on how I recover uh <laughs> recover the lost money because it got more and more and I also decided to sue the guys that uh, gave me that faulty video. So I was in like, I was a month delayed and we had already people on the waiting list. I had like literally like my last money was like spent. Plus I was in a lawsuit uh, when I started a campaign. So I was really on edge. And then having the success, like when we launched and I think we had within the first three hours of launch, we had already reached a goal. We had $30,000. And that's when like the relief like kicked in. And also like two weeks later, I won the lawsuit and I got my money back for the first video. So it's kind of this moment, I mean, there was like, I was close to just quitting it and going back to my job. And 
I mean, from there, I think it moved more smoothly. I mean, obviously I made again mistakes in picking like a wrong shipping company. So we got delayed for four months in shipping. So it's like there were a lot of little mistakes along the way and it hurts you much more earlier on because it's, you have little money in my case, like, like most of it are already like sunk on uh, on video shoot. And so that's why I think looking back and also if I would give advice, it's like have someone who's at the same um, stage as you just for the emotional support, mm -hmm. like having someone who understands you because my friends at that point, they were all like professionals, right? They had like their stable careers. They had like two times to go to fancy holiday. Um, you know, you're talking about promotion and they couldn't really relate to what I was going through. So, and if I had like a, a group of women where I'm like, I'm like, I can't build that website. These guys took all my money. <laughs> uh, I have this ugly video now. It's like, it would have been just like the emotional support and then have someone in a network that is maybe 18 to 24 months ahead of mm. you because they have just set up their logistics. They have just like found the right providers. So basically you can kind of learn from them. And I think now that we are growing like we have like a, we're a bit more further in I think even having someone who has like five or six years experience for opening up the vision because like now you're thinking it's going well but then you see someone you know that you probably read in a magazine and then you think like you can't be that person but then when you have someone who suddenly like is like no actually you can be that person and you can actually do this and you can do more it just opens your horizon where I'm like I could be at some point that person, which at the beginning, you're just like, okay, let's, you know, we're happy that we have like step by step. So like these three different groups of like women, I think that's like looking back would be the ideal case if I would start over. How did you find your network when you were just starting? So at the beginning, I was really doing a lot of cold emailing, cold LinkedIn invites, because also in my network, it's like, you know, these are people who work in international development. Like there's no economist who actually turned into an entrepreneur. So I didn't have that network. Who did you reach out to? So one example is when I was looking for a PR agency. So I wanted to hire a freelancer, but I had like no idea on like how PR actually works. And I just looked for like people who are freelancing in, in PR. And I found like this one girl and she said like, I'm traveling right now, come back to me like three months later. And I just kept like reminding her, I'm like, Hey, I'm still like interested. And so, yeah, she was then the first one starting working for us. But yeah, I was kind of just like, I don't know you, uh, I don't know PR, but I read about it. And so listening to her, learning about it. And yeah, that was kind of the cold uh, connections like at the very beginning. And I think then once you move further along, you, you automatically tap into a network of, of female entrepreneurs. Mm -hmm. And I think it's also like now incredible that like is if someone, for example, reaches out to me on LinkedIn, I see as a woman entrepreneur, I make the time. Mm -hmm. And I think that's like for many of like in that, in that group of women, like we know we have to support each other. So I, it gotten easier, but I think at the beginning, it's literally, you just have to be very humble and say like, Hey, do you have 20 minutes? I know you don't know me and I have like nothing to show yet again. Um, but, you know, will you be willing to take 10 minutes, 20 minutes of your time just to talk to me? And that opens up the the conversation. At what point did you quit your job? So I quit my job pretty much after the Kickstarter campaign. 
So once I had like this initial like product market fit, I don't know if like there are different definitions on what is product market fit. For me, how I define it is that the feedback from customers that when they use the product, um, that they immediately like sleep better and people like reaching out and saying like, thank you for doing this and thanks for having that product. So that's where I'm like, okay, it helps people. It helps not only me. So it's something where, you know, I can have bad videos. I can like mess up on the shipping, but I cannot mess up on the product. Mm -hmm. So, and that was always my core belief. I never doubted on the, on that this blanket is working. It worked for me and then it worked for everyone. I tried it. Uh, it worked for them. So that's kind of like where I said, okay, let's, let's take the leap and leave my, leave it behind and like completely quit. And, um, yeah, from there, I also took first, like it took six or eight months where I like modified the product and from feedback from people, do we meet, need to make it a bit heavier? What are the colors? What are the weight? How does it feel like from the softness? So like that tweaking. So when we actually launched a Barabi brand that I could be comfortable that what we put out there is like, it's tried and tested and kind of taking, taking that time when you launch. So that's, I think, another like six or eight months that I took just to, to do that. I have to ask, where did the name come from? So Barabi is uh, Bear Hug and Lullaby combined. Ah. Yeah, I because it's that. like if you have these 20 pounds heavy oh, blankets, like it feels like you're hugged by a bear. <laughs> and then the lullaby is, yeah, drifting off. Did you have a lot of names you were deciding between and that one just hit you? So actually, I'm not very creative at all. So my initial name was like, I just took the Latin word for sleep and translated it. And then some people were like, no, that's, you know, like if you Google that, it's like sleeping pills or things mm. come up. And I'm um, like, okay, let's, let's dig a bit deeper. And then we actually, again, we reached out to our customers and we're like, so how does this make you feel like the product? And then like a lot of people said, this makes me feel like a bear hug or mm. a big giant hug. And that's when I said, okay, let's combine like these two names. So again, but I had help coming up with a name. So I think that's another lesson learned for me. It's like on a creative process. I mean, one of my first hires also was a creative, I think finding someone who complements your skill set. I mean, I knew I could take care of the operations, of the finance, of the accounting, but then I wouldn't be the one who's able to design a logo, who has like the visual eye for creating things. I could always say like, this looks good, but I don't know how to get there, if that makes sense. And when you started, everything was based in India, correct? Oh, I actually left India. Oh, did. I left India. And when I started actually for uh, quite a while, I, because I was, Dubai was like the, uh, the center where also my husband uh, was there at that point. So what's interesting also is that I managed to actually grow the brand for the first months without actually physically being here in the, in the States. So we were focusing on the operations. We had calls like late at night and somehow we made it happen at like even in the first months I wasn't here and we didn't have an office here that uh, we already got like the traction in building it. And now we have our office in Williamsburg um, and I'm here. Coming up, you'll hear why list building, collecting emails, and the first 48 hours were crucial to a crowdfunding victory on Kickstarter. Can you share more about how you've now grown your team since when you first started? Because it was just you. You said you felt very lonely when you were first building 
this business? Yeah. So I think complementing my skill set. So having like a, someone who I can rely on, on all the creative side, on, on the graphic design, that was key. And then... Was that person your first hire? Yeah. Still with me. And I mean, also seeing seeing them grow, it was like, it's not when you start out that you can hire someone, you know, it's been like 20 years experience. Mm -hmm. These are people also just starting out the same as 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 I did. So we had to learn together. Mm -hmm. And like also being smart about like you have little resources, how you can train your team. And for example, when we hired our branding agency to um, do the whole Bearer B brand, it was clear for me that like this person, our graphic designer would spend six months in Denmark with the creative agency to learn about it. So it was like a learning experience. And uh, when he came back, he brought all that wealth with him and he grew along the way. Or when we had like the first photo shoot and I had to take care of production and I couldn't go, I sent like a 21-year-old, it's like, here, you managed the whole shoot, which was a big production. And so you see people growing and you give them opportunities. And if you have like the right people who are have that learning mindset and growth mindset, like surround yourself with people who have that mindset, not someone who's, you know, who knows it all, who has that experience, but someone who's like also looking it up at night, studying up on things that they don't know and they come back the next day. How big is your team now? We're 13, which is triple the team. I mean, if you think about it, our Barry brand is just a year old. We turned one in December. So you did the first Kickstarter and you raised 250000 Did you end up raising a round after that? So we raised from friends and family, okay. but I haven't raised like an institutional round. And I think I also don't need to this year. So what happened is like shortly after we launched, we got approached by West Elm. Yep. And yeah, we already had like after being five months old, we already had our products in West Elm. What was that like when you got that? Did you get a call or an email from them? So the first thing I think that was, it was an email from like a West Elm. And it's like, like that's scam. <laughs> who, who from who from West Elm would be interested in our products? But then like I took the call with the team in Dumbo and they're like, so where's your showroom for all the products? And we're like, uh, I don't have a showroom. And we're just like, we'll start out, we're just five months old. And they're like, oh. I mean, they heard about the, the blankets. They were looking into that space. And then we shipped them uh, a couple of blankets over. And since then, yeah, we developed the partnership. We developed the colors together. And, and yeah, so it was like incredible already in the first year to be like when you put like a timeline. So what is the best case scenario? What can happen? This would not be was not on my timeline or like like I wouldn't even think that, you know, like we could get into a retail uh, or that a retail actually is approaching us five months into the business. So again, I think like having that vision, I didn't have it at that point. Um, what made them approach you? Was it, did they find you on social media? Was it press articles? How did they find so, you? So we had people, um, they found us through a press article, but we have, um, for example, we also have a couple of blankets in Marriott hotels and they found mm. us on social media. So that's now that I'm also seeing a trend on Instagram where like we start a conversation with someone and like, how did you actually find out about us? They're like, no, I saw you on Instagram. And we're like, oh, really? Um, so that's definitely like the reading about us. And I guess when people research about it and then Instagram yeah. becomes like a tool for doing research. So how that, did you learn early on when you were first starting how important social media was going to be to invest in it? I also didn't know because uh, only my parents follow me on Instagram. So I have like... Really I just followed you today. So <laughs> yes, you have another so follower. I have three <laughs> followers. So, I mean, 
again, I like, I mean, I realized that a lot of like direct to consumer brands, they have like these beautiful Instagram accounts, but I also didn't realize actually the power. It's not only like the images and kind of how you portray your brand, but also like the direct communication with your customer. It's, I mean, we only have our website, so it's the only way that people actually can find us and communicate. It became so that we also now like when something, for example, an order gets lost or something is happening, then we actually provide customer support through Instagram. So it's not only like a channel where it's like people can interact socially, but also they can directly get access to our customer service team. We had, for example, a customer who wanted to get like a blanket same day on Valentine's Day. And like he kept like messaging us on Instagram and he was telling like how he missed like the window. And then the service team like from Instagram made it happen with like the operations team. So we were able to get him a blanket and like right on time for Valentine's Day. So, yeah. How many people are working on your service team on Instagram now? So on Instagram, we have like two people Mm. working on it. Like one is like uh, visual, like the putting up. And then when it comes to content we actually have a lot of user generated content which was surprising for me it's um a lot of customers like before said when they have like a traditional weighted blanket it's something you want to hide because it looks has like this medical look with the plastic beads but now it's people like kind of celebrating when the product comes in and they show and like proud of it and it's not in a bedroom anymore it's actually now moved to the living room and it became kind of couch worthy Mm -hmm. and people like keep sharing keep tagging us so that made it actually easier for us this user generated content so when we wake up we already have like eight stories uh, where people tagging us people explaining the product people share their sleep journeys so we're getting a lot of ideas actually like oh like sleep journey like maybe that's something we should take and kind of like keep asking people and create real content around it but we take a lot of inspiration like kind of organically from people following us are most of your sales uh direct to your website or through retail Uh, most of our sales are just um direct to consumer and i know you initially got the word out through kickstarter do you have any more advice aside from being careful about which production company you use that you can share with anyone looking to launch their brand on Kickstarter? Yeah, so you need to take at least four months um, to get ready. And the most important thing is like the list building, like collecting emails. So because Kickstarter also works with an algorithm. So when you launch, you want to rank high on the Kickstarter side. And that actually that ranking is determined within the first 48 hours. So you basically need to be prepared and set up that all the people that want the product, that they are buying it in the first 48 hours. So our task was actually to collect email addresses. And we did that through Facebook, through Instagram, kind of telling people like, hey, it's not out there yet, but we will be launching on that date. Give us your email address. And then once you launch, you get like a 10% discount in the first 48 hours. So and that helped us like within a short time frame that we got a lot of sales and that uh, got us really high in the ranking. And then everything happens organically. So I would say that's kind of probably the main advice, which uh, I think a lot of other people like do wrong they just think they have to put up the video and yeah. and that's yeah, it yeah um but the work happens actually four months in advance of actually when you launch how long were you running facebook ads to collect email addresses and do you remember how much you spent to do that so as a rule they say on kickstarter um is you should spend 10 percent of the revenue that you want to generate on kickstarter you should put on ads so 
for example, if you're targeting, if your goal is 100,000, like 10,000, you should spend on ads. Again, so it is like a lot of like an investment that you have to take. So you can go that route. Um, I've also seen other people who are going more in an organic way and kind of reaching out to their network mm. to collect emails. But I mean, we had, I think, at least 10,000 emails collected at that point when we already launched. Then we send out the email on like, I think we launched like one minute past midnight and I didn't think that people actually would stay awake. <laughs> but we had people staying awake and even had like blanket parties in their homes. And we were like a bit delayed because there were some glitches in the system. And then people were already like emailing us on like that single email that we had set up. When are you guys going live? We have six people here and we're like celebrating for the launch. And we're like, oh my God, it's really people are like waiting for it. And we launched like 20 minutes late and we had like lots of, I think hundreds of emails. Where oh people like, gosh. where are you guys? I thought you're launching. You said like one past midnight. And then once we launched and the, the sales came in yeah. like right away. We call those good business problems. <laughs> <laughs> and then yeah. how long was the Kickstarter campaign up for? So we had it for one month. One month, four weeks. We were running and we had like three tiers set up, like an early, early bird um, special that we were running for 10 days. Then like a kind of a normal. And then we had like a late bird uh, where the price went up a, a bit higher. So we basically encouraged people to buy early in through like the setup of like the different mm -hmm. tiers and how we structured it. And then uh, once I guess they wire the money to you, that money is now in your account. What do you do next? What's your next plan? I mean, in my case, it went all to inventory, right? So then that's where like the production started. And um, so yeah, it's like that day when like the the money hits your account and uh, that's kind of when <laughs> when the work starts. So you take it and that's usually you have to have a minimum order quantity. It's not that I can just go in and say like, hey, I want to order 10 blankets. Because uh, everyone who participated on Kickstarter, they were pre-buying the blankets. Yes. So now you had to produce for them. Exactly. Yeah. So they are trusting that I will be able to get that product done uh, within like a time frame. So I think we said within six months, we will be able to deliver that product for you. We have prototypes. Um, we have photos of prototypes, but obviously we don't have like a full on fledged production, mass production ready. So with every Kickstarter campaign, you take like a bet on that person that you think that they will be able to deliver and give you that product. So yeah, that's... Um, Did the initial product look like the beautiful blanket that you're... Um, I mean, playing we, with right now. <laughs> we, we evolved. Yeah. Uh, we evolved a lot. I mean, like th at the beginning, I mean, um, like the learning curve that I took. And I think also when you start the business, it's like your thoughts are kind of 24 7. You just think about your business, yeah. right? And all the energy that you have maybe put on your career before, it's just going like into the same channel. So you're actually like exponentially like growing and like what I knew about like textiles then and then just like two months later about textiles, like completely different. So I changed the product a lot along the way. And also once I learned about Tencel, the fabric that is like that, that we have here, that it's 100% biodegradable, that it's made out of wood pulp. I didn't know about that at the beginning. But yeah, as soon as I found out, I said like, a month later, we, we, we had it. So that's a good thing if you're an entrepreneur. It's like you can make decisions and they happen pretty quickly. Yeah. I think it's it's so ironic that your sleep issues led to you becoming an entrepreneur, starting this business. And when you become an entrepreneur, you don't sleep because you're running your business. I know. I'm sleeping under three blankets already now. <laughs> Up next, 
Why the core working hours at Barabee are only from 12 to 3 p.m. What's next for Barabee? And a surprise. We have some really big news to share. We are so excited to announce the launch of Sweet Rye Social, a new division at Socialfly that's dedicated to growing emerging brands and businesses just like yours. Interested in learning more? Shoot us a line at info at sweetrise.com and we'll be happy to set up a complimentary 30-minute consultation. DM us with any questions. All right. So I want to know, what is a typical day for you outside of work now look like? Do you have time for yourself? I actually now make time for myself. Um, so in the first like year, it's like it was more of a sprint where it's like you're just exhausted. And then I started actually realizing this is a marathon. You know, it's not an overnight success and this can take many years. So if I'm not taking care of myself now, I'm probably not making it to the finish line. So what I do is... I don't know if you guys are familiar. So I'm a I'm a night owl. So there are larks and, and owls, which is the like the circadian rhythm, which is like genetically modified. So that means I'm like going to bed later and I'm most productive at night. For example, like my ideas or when I think about things, they happen like at 10 p.m. So and then like for me then to get up at six, obviously is like not the best thing. Um, so, <laughs> so what we actually did um, like as a team is... So we always say one of our values is like embrace the differences and that can mean many things. But for us, it's also like the differences in sleep patterns. So our core working hours are actually only from 12 to 3. So for example, people like me, I like to come in in the office like I don't like to have meetings in the morning. So in the morning, I would like to take some time if possible for myself to do like exercise, do things that I don't can take care of on other like other days. So I come in at 11, but people, for example, who are like early risers, who are like more productive, they can come in early, but they can also then leave early. So we're trying to coordinate to have our core meetings between 12 and 3. And other than that, we are flexible and everyone who depending on like their rhythm. And I mean, it's scientifically also proven that you can't genetically change. So if you make me go at like 6, like in the morning or at 7, start early, like I will not be as productive and I probably will be like foggy and then later on I wake up and it's the other way for a lot of actually creative people also are owls and then they like to work at night so why do I you know force them to go in early so that's actually something that uh, we managed quite well to have like that policy implemented we also have was that implemented from the very start when you first started hiring people or you figured that out I mean, I think it was more when I started reading about sleep science and I was also thinking now that we grew the team and like, how do we actually like preserve a culture at the beginning when you're a small team, it comes very organically. Mm -hmm. It's like, you know, you're kind of like a small family and you're like, you know, you're all on WhatsApp communicating. Then when you grow, it's like we have, we need to have like some structure mm -hmm. and like thinking about also like what is the values, like how, what do we stand for? And I mean, we can't tell our customers that we want them to help sleep naturally and then like make our people like come in early in the morning when it doesn't fit like their their style. So we also have like two sleep in days because what we also found from a lot of our customers is like this um, anxiety that's also correlated with like bad sleep. Mm -hmm. It's often triggered, you know, you find yourself it's 2 a.m., you can't fall asleep, but you know you have to get up at 6 
because you have to be in the office at nine. So then you're like at three, you look at the clock again and you all get like grammed up all the time. Me too. Yes. It's the worst. And that's the worst. And yes. it's actually, if you, it's like a, this psycho, like this mental barrier. And if that's lifted and you know, like, okay, if I can't sleep now, I sleep until nine because I only have to be in the office maybe at 12 at that point. You actually will fall asleep right away. And like, since we have that rule or like that policy, People are actually coming to office early and people sleep better at night. So the more flexibility we give and like we lift like these mental barriers, like the more productive we're getting. And also, I think overall happier as a team. I love that. That's Me too. That's really great advice. Uh, how did you know? Because I feel like when we first started our company, we didn't necessarily have values from day one. Mm-hmm. I think we put those in place maybe a year or two in. So how did you, who advised you to put that together? I think we actually, I thought I started thinking about like values, like pretty early on one, um, like most, like that was like close to me is like having each other's back because often like in the corporate world, people who are like, maybe sometimes like you have your KPIs and then you measure it according what you have to deliver on these KPIs. But then maybe there's a colleague sitting next to me who also has to deliver, but is struggling or, you know, could have like a helping hand from my end. But then like the incentive is actually not to help and and work collaboratively. So I said, I don't want that actually in my company. And basically our KPIs that we have like a common KPI, we're very transparent. For example, like everyone in the company knows what our revenue goals are and we have them on our board. We write them. So everyone sees every day how we're doing. And then at the end of the year, we give like a, a bonus and everyone gets the same and it's transparent and it depends on are we hitting the goal as a team and it's not about like an individual it's not like the graphic designer some something really beautiful or like the operations team has been more efficient no it's how good we work together and actually like did the graphic designer realize when like production had like a problem and did they work collaboratively together and since we have that and this transparency also it's like oh it's not you know Catherine is getting more he's getting more it's like I know everyone is getting the same and it's like an all or nothing that has made a big difference for us and like this having each other's back is something that like yeah, it's important for me. And I wanted to have that also that we, while we are growing to preserve that in an organic way. And how's the feedback from your team then? I mean, I think it just like, I don't want to see as Barry B is like, it's my company. It's all of our company yeah. together. So when we are reaching a goal, it has just kind of like put ownership um, into like, even as like someone who's maybe in like an entry level position, you know, will get the same validation or has like the same sense of ownership that this is actually also your company and i think it just kind of changes the dynamics and the and the culture and people are speaking up more i mean i'm always like listening to feedback but then often people are not sharing but since we have that in place i just see we have more discussions like people are like challenging each other we're like can we do this better can we do that better and before you're most thinking in silos it's like okay i'm getting like my operations or my customer service is perfect uh, i don't care about like right and left what's happening in the silos but now that we are like okay it's it's like we're the musketeers it's like you know all or nothing it's like oh what are you doing over there and like graphic design i have an idea we should do that so we like just kind of become more collaborative and thinking about like what's actually happening on the on the other side of the table 
And is there one piece of advice, and you, I know you shared uh, many pieces of advice throughout uh, this conversation that you wish you had known when you first started your career? I think it's how you define success. So at the beginning, especially when you are starting out and you read a lot, it's like there's like this typical, maybe even stereotype on like what success looks like, maybe even like male success looks like. But there's still very little conversation, for example, about like mothers, you know, like we have like work-life balance, but what does it actually mean? So I think it's important that you get a lot of different perspectives. So you have like the VC perspective, you have like someone who's like bootstrapped, someone who's born early into retail. So try to talk to everyone. But then at some point, there needs to be like a moment where you actually define for yourself what actually your personal success means for you. And I think once you have that moment, then you just go for it. And it takes courage then to go for it. And what does success mean for you? Success means for me, I'm, I'm not thinking in like a lot of like, especially like maybe male investors or potential investors, they always ask, so what's your exit strategy? Like, what's the number? And I don't want to look at it in that way. So I have like a picture in my mind on like the company that I want to grow and like the products that I want to bring out in the market. So I'm working on two other patents right now. And also, like I'm reading a lot about like how can like companies, like how can we treat our employees? How can we be more sustainable and how we do our production, for example? Like we had like plastic free production from the very beginning. And like, again, me as a newcomer in the industry, everyone told me you have to pack your blankets in plastic wraps and that's how they go into the container. And I was like, but why is it like, why? And I didn't get like, give me the facts, give me the stats. And then actually it's just been, it's always been done like this. So, and then we managed actually to create like a double layered carton and now we're shipping all our products plastic free. So just coming back to that. So I think I want to see my products like out in the, in the world. I have that vision on also what I want to create from a, from a company, like, so that when I look back, I can be proud of and how that looks like in terms of like numbers and we'll see. What's next for you in terms of the products that you're developing right now? And there's different weights to the blankets, correct? Yeah. There's, okay. Yeah. So Walk us through what you So, I mean, finding the right uh, blanket is always like the different factors, but like the approximately rule that we go for is like 10% of your body weight as a minimum. If you have problems falling asleep, uh, it should be even higher. Um, so then you should go to the next higher category. Also, people who have tendency to anxiety, restless leg. Um, like the heavier the blanket, it cannot be too heavy. It can only be too light. So that's like the the number one rule. In terms of like what's next for us, it's like um, yeah, we have a partnership with the Wing coming up, which is exciting. So we have our blankets in their in their um, spaces, and we have like different like events on like raising awareness about sleep. And then in March, we're actually launching our children's edition. I was going to so, ask about that. <laughs> yes. So that that's coming out. And um, it's uh, so this is called like the napper. And then uh, we have the napling, which is the, the little the little napper. And yeah, so we're working on that right now in like little colors, uh, like color variations. And um, so that will be like what we're doing for for this year. That's so exciting. How old do kids have to be to be able to start using the blanket? So like the first product that we will bring out is like from four years old. So we recommend not, you know, having like a weighted blanket for children that are like under four. Yeah. Because like 
can be confining. Yeah. yeah. Something that Stephanie and I like to do is surprise and delight our guests. And we know how hard it is Yay. to start a business. So we got you uh, a gift. It's near your chair and the Entreprenista swag Ooh. bag. I love so thank you for <laughs> coming on the show. You can open it up us. and tell us what's inside. This <laughs> is body scrub or is that a candle candle yeah it's a candle i love i love candles i like i burn a lot of candles like because at night i always have my candle like next to me yes uh when i'm when i'm thinking so thank you that will be well, definitely think you. of us when you come up with your next idea <laughs> at 10 o'clock at night with your candle lit <laughs> <laughs> and then you also have a notebook and your entrepreneurista pin Perfect. Thank you so much, guys. Yes. No, enjoy. What would you say is your favorite mantra or quote that you live by? This is one quote from Helen Keller. It's, uh, life is either a daring adventure or nothing at all. And yeah, I think taking a risk like early on and kind of leaving like established career behind um, was scary at the beginning. But I think now looking back, it really feels like an adventure, like a actually a great adventure. Would you do it all over again? I would do it again, yeah. And lastly, what does being an entrepreneurista mean to you? I would say entrepreneurista means taking a lot of no's and converting them ultimately into yes through like persistence, being humble and um, growing, like constantly working and, and growing. Um, and not stopping. I love that. Catherine, thank you so much for being here, sharing your entrepreneurista <laughs> story. And we cannot wait to see what you do next. And we're I keep you guys gonna... posted. Yes, I can't wait for this children's line. I have an eight and a half month old, so she's not ready for the weighted blanket yeah. yet, but we'll <laughs> get one for out. <laughs> yeah. Mama needs one. <laughs> Catherine, yeah. where can everyone find you, follow you, and of course, buy your amazing products? So um, our products you can find on our website, barabee.com. And then also if you can follow us on Instagram, always love that. If you say hi, it's my Barabee. My Barabee on Instagram. And we will definitely be following you and checking you out. Thank you again so much for being here. I'm Stephanie. And I'm Courtney. And this is the best business meeting we've ever had. Thanks for listening. 